Let me invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians this morning. It's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are going to start. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and the word Advent is just a Latin word that means arrival or coming. And I'd love to hear, anyone have any traditions that they do during the Advent season? Maybe a long-standing family tradition that you do, or maybe something that you're trying new this year or have learned recently? Advent traditions, anyone? None whatsoever. All right, Catherine in the back. She reads truth. Yeah, there's a great Advent book that we've actually sort of coordinated as a church in the past. Um, I'm, a, I'm actually really looking forward to one. Guys, don't feel left out. There's something called He Reads Truth, and they put together this great Advent book, um, and I think the readings start today. So I'm actually really, really excited about that. That's been a really fun tradition. Someone else over here. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So rich. Isn't it good just to hear uh, some of these Old Testament scriptures? We hear sometimes that Jesus was predicted from long ago, uh, but to hear them in the context of the Christmas season is really good. Someone else? Advent traditions that you have. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The little calendar that you open up. He has chocolate. Yeah. He burns it off because he runs like a million miles a week. So he's able to eat all that chocolate. That's good. That's good, Gria. Do you share with the kids? Oh, it's theirs. Oh, okay, gotcha. I didn't, I didn't know. You look pretty excited about the little chocolates. So, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, Bethlehem um, in Santa Clara. It's a lot more convenient, uh, close by. It's a really, really powerful thing. That's a fun family tradition. Yeah. All right. Um, we just got this new little thing uh, from my mother-in-law this year, and it's these little blocks that are sort of counting down every single day in December, and we just began that on December first. Well, listen, let me ask you a question, um, and it's probably true of all of us that we have this, but are you ever frustrated with who you are? You ever frustrated with who you are? <laughs> Amen. Preach it, brother. Um, I love the mind of Gary Larson. Uh, this is a little far side calendar. Um, if you can't read it, it's a, you know, it's a bullseye, right? On a deer, like what a bummer of a birthmark. Um, you know, it takes faith for us to believe that God made us on purpose, that God made us just the way we are. I love that song you say as we started this orientation series. That was a song that Lucas immediately was like, man, we got to do that one. It's so powerful, uh, to have this lyric that just says that the only thing that matters now is what you say of me. And it takes real faith to believe those parts of ourself that we wish we could change. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want in your mind, I want you to get the one thing about yourself that you would most like to change and just sort of hold it in your mind for a minute could be some physical attribute. It could be some ailment. It could be some looks thing. It could be some experience that you've had. But what is the one thing that you're most frustrated by? You go, if I could change this one thing, God, this is what it would be. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to do this exercise of taking it and offering it 
And just even asking this question, God, could you use even this for good? Could you take this thing I'm frustrated with, that I was born with, that's part of my story, and use it for good in some way? I'm going to read a lengthy passage, and for some of us, this passage is so familiar. And just like Christmas, just like home, actually, sometimes the familiar can be lost on us. Because we've heard it so much, or we've seen it so much, or we're so used to it, we sort of take it for granted. But Ephesians 2 is one of those passages, I think, that for me, uh, it, can, it can just, my brain can already fill in where it's going, so it can kind of lose the impact. And I don't want that to happen this morning. I want us to discipline ourselves to hear this afresh. But we're going to hear who God, God telling us another aspect of who we are. And what I want to make really, really clear is this. This is who we are not at birth, but this is who we are at second birth. There's a theological term called regeneration. It's this idea of Jesus saying you must be born again. So these are for Christians. These are people who are in Christ. Listen to who God tells us we are. Ephesians chapter 2. Follow, follow along with me. Follow, la, la, la. That's almost what that sounded like. It's Christmas time. Whoa. Just slipped out. Follow along with me in verse 8. It says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, let me just pause there for a minute. There are two truths that sit side by side in this text, and here it is, that we didn't save ourselves, and that we didn't make ourselves. We didn't save ourselves, and we didn't make ourselves. Now, the fact that we didn't save ourselves is talked about quite a bit at this church. You know why? It's all through the Bible. That message just keeps coming back again and again and again in all kinds of different ways. That we did not save ourselves. It is a gift to be received. Not something that we work for, not something that we earn. But in the same way that we didn't save ourselves, we didn't make ourselves. If you own a driver's license, I want you to pull that out for a second. If it's convenient, pull it out. I want you to look at your driver's license for one second. As we do so, I want you to stop and I want you to savor the truth that we didn't make ourselves. It's actually a gift. It's an early Christmas present to set your mind on the fact that you had nothing to do with making you. The most telling things about you had nothing to do with you. Like you didn't get to choose it. So here's my driver's license. I still have brown hair in this driver's license. How old is this license? So when you look at your driver's license, think about this. Think about how much pressure is off. This is what, this is what good leadership does, by the way. It takes pressure off of those that are being led. God provides a covering. God provides leadership to his people. And so the pressure is off to have to determine any of this stuff about you. Take a look. Name, you didn't come up with it. It was given to you. Date of birth, you didn't pick it. On here, sex, male or female, you didn't pick it. Eyes, 
height, weight, none of these things was up to you. You were handed these physical characteristics. Now, we could go on. How many picked their social security number? Anyone? None of you. It was just handed to you. But that's an identifier that you go around with. How about where you were born? How about to whom you were born? How about that you were born? None of this was was our doing. This was all from the mind of God. There's no choice in the matter. In fact, here's what it is. God chose you to be, and then he made it happen. He thought it up and just said, I'm going to make you exist. And so here we all are. You can put your license away. Don't lose it, please. You'll get mad at me. We're in this series called Orientation, and the entire idea behind this is who does God say that we are? We're taking this idea from Matthew where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they have a little discussion. Then he gets more pointed. He asks them specifically, but who do you say that I am? Remember with those two questions, he wasn't confused about his identity. He didn't need information from the crowd. He didn't need information from his followers. He was perfectly clear on who he was. But those two questions teach us some things. The first question sort of teased out some lies, right? The crowd often has just false, wild views, popular views. Well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're all wrong. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Remember Peter's response? What does Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. How does Jesus reply to Peter? Peter, you're blessed. You know why you're blessed? This only comes from divine revelation. Let me just say this this morning. You have no idea who you are unless it's divinely revealed who you are. You will have so many other competing voices, and those voices are just guesswork. Unless God tells us who we are, everything else is guesswork. So today we're looking at our third sort of orientation question, and it's this, that we're God's masterpiece. We just read it. We are his workmanship. So we orient our life. We point our life by faith to say, God, I'm going to receive what you say is true of me as most important over all other voices, including the voices that are in my head. As God's masterpiece, catch this, you are both a work of art and a tool of the trade. I want you to take those two ideas and put them in your mind because we're going to sort of think about this the whole morning, that you're both a work of art and a tool of the trade. I have these two items that you see on the screen uh, that just kind of hang in my office, and I've decided to just sort of bring them here. One is my skateboard, and this hangs in my office, and um, really enjoy seeing it. Um, and then the other one is my guitar here. And thinking about these two items, they are in essence, I have them in my office as both a work of art, something that hangs there and is admired and enjoyed, but also they're tools of the trade. They are literally underfoot or in the hand. They are doing something. And I began to see these two items hanging there, and I thought, that's us. 
That's who we are. That's how God made us as his workmanship. Think about this. Each one of these is designed a certain way on purpose. You know what both of these are made of? Metal and wood. But they're put together so completely differently from one another, aren't they? A skateboard and a guitar, just metal and wood, a little bit of paint, a little bit of decoration. But they're vastly different from the other. And they're not only functional, but they are pleasing. Here's what's kind of interesting. These two items, uh, they have some stories to them. I know exactly where some dents and dings are on both of these. In fact, I have both put scars on these items, and they have put scars on me. And only I know the full story of how that all went. But there's actually sort of memory and interaction. And I thought, what a, what a picture of the relationship of the things that belong to us. Now, track with my thinking here. The things that I, that belong to me are impacted by me. And the things that belong to me actually have an impact on me. And if this is true with mere objects, like inanimate wood and metal, think about this now. How much more the maker and the maid? That we, that we have a relationship, that we, uh, we impact the other. God is the master maker. And this is just a stunning reality to come back to over and over and over again. God is the master maker. You have told me that you've made me a masterpiece. Why do I know that? Because if, if he's the workman, he just doesn't make garbage. He doesn't make broken things. He knows what he's doing. Start to finish. He didn't just create us to do stuff. He didn't just create us with function. He created us because it pleased him. Remember Jesus at his baptism. Did Jesus accomplish a lot here on earth? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus accomplished a lot. He functioned as a substitute for us. He's our covering. He functioned as the healer and the eye-opener and the releaser from prisons. He did a lot, but at his baptism, a voice was heard from heaven, God the Father, saying, this is my beloved son. I really like him. That's sort of the nuanced translation there. I'm well pleased by him. I didn't just make him to do stuff and to be functional and to be a tool. He's a work of art. I really, really take pleasure in him. Now, here's what I know this morning. In a whole bunch of different ways, uh, it takes a ton of faith to believe this today, probably sitting where you are. And there's probably a host of reasons that we're not going to get into. But I do know this. There are wicked lies being whispered and shouted from the mountaintops that go against the divine revelation of who you are as a human being. The biggest, loudest, boldest one is this. There is no maker. That's a lie. That's a wicked lie. And when that is spouted, that of course will begin to seep into our identity and who I am and who I'm accountable to and who I delight or I don't. Listen to these words. I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet 
to the nations. How on earth do we know this is true? It's divine revelation. These are the words of God to Jeremiah. God spoke these words to Jeremiah. But you know what? Jeremiah wasn't buying it. Jeremiah wasn't buying it. Look at what he replies with. He replies with doing what, if you think about it, is unthinkable. He questions God. God says, this is, this is what I've created you for. I've set you up for this. And Jeremiah questions God. We take the fact that God just allows us to question him without immediate punishment for granted. It's unthinkable that we would go and question this. This is the pot saying to the potter, you're wrong. But listen to what he says. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, Jeremiah, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. God says one thing. Jeremiah says another thing. Really, really interesting in this sentence. He says two things that make no sense whatsoever. Oh, sovereign Lord. What does that mean? Oh, ruler over every nuance of the universe. Oh, creator of every cell of every living thing. Oh, thinker of every beautiful and good working system that is in my body and in the, and the planets and in the whole solar system and in the universe. Oh, sovereign Lord, you're wrong. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't do what you've just told me you created me to do before I even knew I was me. Is this starting to make your head hurt? It should. It makes my head hurt. But I think today we're no different. Today we're absolutely no different. Let me just say a few phrases and see if these have crept up in your mind. Maybe they've crept up in your mind because they've been said to you. Not good enough. Ugly. Useless. I could go on, but that covers a lot, doesn't it? Not good enough, ugly, useless. Here's been my prayer for you this morning. I pray that this morning you would stop your mouth. That for the next hour you would just stop your mouth, or maybe the mouth of your mind, because we can talk. Some of you are talking back at me right now. Oh, yeah? Stop your mouth or stop the mouth of your mind for one hour and just say, God, would you help me? Give me the grace to have divine revelation of who you say that I am. And we will need God's grace for that. Perhaps this is most difficult, not in a mind level, O sovereign Lord, we know God's sovereign, but at a heart level. God, help me to just set down the swirling emotions that this might be stirring up right now. It's difficult when what he's saying is true is true of you. We all live our life with some really, really wild realities. Let me toss some things out to you. Every single thing that you have is currently breaking. So all the stuff that you have is breaking. All the toys and things that you may open up at Christmas time, it's breaking. And everything you're building won't last. The things you are working on won't last. So the stuff we have is breaking and the things you're building won't last. And yet, here we are pressing on. 
We're going to go back to work tomorrow building things that are breaking and building things that won't last. Here's what I think. Something in us, there's something like deep in us that must build. There's something in us that has to work. There's something in us that just feels like we, we have to create. One of the things we love to do as a family is go to the beach. My kids at the beach, it's really, really fascinating. Because when my family goes to the beach, in essence, everyone has a job. Everyone starts doing something. Each one gets to work. One person is collecting things. Another person is digging down. Another person is building up. Another person is exploring and finding things. And here's what's interesting. Every single time we go to the beach... We all know this is true, that the stuff you find, the stuff you build, the stuff you dig, you, you don't bring any of it with you. Everyone gets hard to work at the beach, and it all stays at the beach. You don't accomplish anything. You don't bring stuff home. And so then we come back to the beach, and guess what? People do the same thing over, the, over and again. They go, and they, they get to work doing things at the beach. And I thought, wow, what a representation of people. We get to work doing things. And at the end of the day, there's sort of this end picture of like, it all just stays here. All this hard work, but there's something in us that wants to work. And here's what it is. We are a little mirror of God who made us in his image. So catch this. We work because God works. We create because God creates. We find beauty and function and how it mixes together because God is that way. If you're writing anything down this morning, I left, your, I left your notes completely blank, but write these words down. It's not going to be on the screen. Just write this down. That God's workmanship works. God's workmanship works. And I'm going to talk about this in two different kinds of ways. I talk about the fact that we are a tool of the trade. That means that when I say God's workmanship works, what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that God's workmanship functions. He designs things a certain way and it works. So God's workmanship works. It has a function. Now this guitar right here, um, I saved up for this gar- uh, guitar for a long time. I was teaching guitar at what was then called San Jose Christian College. And I kept trying to buy a higher quality guitar. I was doing a lot of worship leading. I love, this was one of the ways I expressed my love for God and play. And I was always uh, enamored with how a Taylor guitar played. And every time I would sort of start to get enough money, you know what happened? We would need diapers. Well, not we. My kids would need diapers. And so we would think that's a better use of our money in that season than a guitar. So the guitar fund would sort of get pushed off into the future. And then I'd sort of start to get close again, and then our car would break. Why? Because the stuff we have breaks, right? It's, it's, it's breaking right now. And so then we would need food, and then we need to pay rent. Like all these things kept happening. But here's what happened. Over time, I got to finally buy this guitar. And if you were to look, you could see there's a little wood inlay that says that this is the 30th anniversary edition. I got this little 30th anniversary edition. It has some cool little touches um, that make me very, very happy, including koa wood right around the sound hole here, which is really enjoyable to look at, a Hawaiian wood. And I thought, you know, all this time putting it off, A, made me really appreciate it when I got it. But B, I thought, boy, I got to wait for the limited edition. I wasn't trying to wait for the limited edition. 
but life kept pushing it further, and I got this limited edition. And I look at this guitar as a limited edition, and I thought, you know what? That's true of all of us. We're all limited editions. Now, not in the sense that, I mean, there's only a certain amount of these that were made, right? But I mean, we're a limited edition in this, that God, in his goodness to us, built in limits for us, for our good. So we're limited edition. So part of how we function is that we have limits. It's always been this way. Let me take you back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, there was a limit. They had all of this goodness that was there, right? Good, 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 good. And God gives them all of this, and he includes a limit. What was the limit? Tell me. You couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So enjoy everything else, but there's a limit. So God creates Adam, calls it good. Adam needs help. He creates Eve, and that's good. In fact, the pinnacle of creation are people, right? That that very good is who people uh, are created to be. But I want you to notice something in the creation of Eve. When God creates Eve and completes our first parents, a man and a woman, Eve didn't solve Adam's limit problem. The limits were still there once Eve was there as well. So here's what I want you to get. That limits aren't a problem of creation, but a feature of creation. So when you bump up against limits, they are there on purpose. They've been there from the very beginning. It's a guy named uh, Ramsey, and he wrote this book called Rembrandt is in the Wind. Uh, I thought about this whole masterpiece thing. I've been reading this book for a while. My wife gave it to me, uh, and I just read it in little spurts. But he's going through different uh, pieces of art. Rembrandt was a painter. And he's a pastor, and he's just sort of drawing out different ideas from it. But I want you to listen carefully to this quote. He says this, God took something out of the man and made a partner to come alongside, helpful but distinct. The gift of Eve confirmed that this was how things were going to be, how they were meant to be moving forward. And then he says this, look at the screen. He says, we would not merely help ourselves, we would be given help. And we would be given to help. So as God's masterpiece, as God's workmanship, you are designed with the need for help. And you are designed with the ability to help. This is really revolutionary. This is the body of Christ. This is family. That we need one another and are needed by the others how else is this guitar limited so let me just go back to the limited edition for a second let me ask this question i want real answers what can this guitar not do anyone it cannot cook food ever it's sat on my wall and been in my hands for a long time it's never cooked food what else it can't smash through walls what it can't hammer a nail 
Don't you dare try. But it might. What else? It can't play itself. It can't light a candle. It can't eat. That'd be crazy, huh? Shove a banana in there. Brandon, what do you got? It can't play lower bass notes. Spoken like a true bass player. All right, here's the point. It can't do most things. It just it's not very good at it. Now, that's my guitar. I want you to just get your head around this for a second, okay? This is a skateboard, right? Now, it can't do almost everything. I mean, I think everything you just said, except maybe it's probably better at hammering a nail without damaging something. But this skateboard can't do most things. It's really, really limited to what it can. I can and can't do. In fact, as you think about yourself, what are the things you can do and can't do? You can't do most things. And that's a really good gift. That limit that God built into the universe, built into your design, is a really, really, really good thing. These two sit in my office, and they are on opposite walls. And I want you to imagine with me for a second the absolute ludicrous nature if they were to sit there in my office and compare themselves to each other. Or boast about what they can do and what the other one can't do. Can you imagine using my guitar as a skateboard? Bad news, right? It would ruin it very, very quickly. And if I show up in the band in two weeks playing my skateboard, someone just tackle me. Get me off of the stage because it's not going to work out very well. So here's what happens. Sometimes two people, instead of embracing the place God has them, the beauty that God has them, the function that God has them is outward looking and taking cues from all that they're not. Well, they're made of metal and wood as well. How come I can't do that? I feel small or I can do music or I can go out in the world and move people around and take pride in that somehow. That's what would be ludicrous for my items. Here's another design feature of you that as a work of art and tool of the trade, you're going to last forever. Now, without naming names, I'm just going to tell you that I am not the one with dropping problems in my house. My family's sitting here in the second row. They know who they are. Now, you might be thinking, but Dave, just last week you told us that you dropped Eli on his head. That's a true story. And I'm going to tell you about another dropping thing right now. But in general, I don't have a dropping problem in my house. Let me take you to China circa 2005. We have traveled all over the place doing some preaching and gospel revivals at all these different places. And um, we had this one opportunity. We were in a region of China where they make China as in porcelain vases and that sort of thing. And I I wanted to bring something back. I'm like, I don't know when I'll be back. And I brought back this vase that was about this big. And it was the only souvenir that I had, I think, or, or just about. And it was this beautiful little vase. And I sorted through all of them and tried to find one I could afford and tried to find one I thought Becky might like and could be sort of this family heirloom of my time in China. And at one point, we are trying to make a connection from one airline to another inside of China. If you've never been to China, Chinese government loves pieces of paper and stamps. They are like the stamp 
kings of the universe. And everywhere you go, you had to have a stamp on this little piece of paper. And so we are... We are trying to get to make this connecting flight. And some of you know Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller is one of my mentors. He's the pastor, one of the pastors over at Valley Church, and he's with me on the trip. And he's there, and I couldn't find this piece of paper that we got when we entered the country six days ago that no one told me I'm supposed to have this paper out because they want to stamp it some more. So I am rummaging, but I know I have it. I didn't throw it away. So I'm rummaging through my stuff on this floor of this airport. And as I'm taking things out, you guessed it, I take a sweatshirt out. I chuck it like this and I just hear, and I remembered my precious China vase was wrapped safely in my sweatshirt. Turns out it's not the unbreakable variety. Uh, it was shattered all within my sweatshirt sitting there. And my heart sank. I thought, oh, man, it's the one thing. Here's the paper. Put your stamp on it. wasn't a very good mood. And as I handed the paper off and was mourning about my vase, I remember thinking, I wonder if I'll ever get a chance to be back in China to get something so unique and so precious as a vase. You know who wasn't sweating the vase? God. You know why God wasn't sweating the vase? He knew I would be back in China three times over getting something precious and unique. We call them Cassie and Everly and Tate. Here's what I want to draw out. That the things we have are currently breaking. Someone put tons of effort into this vase, and sooner or later, slow would be just decay, quickly is my clumsy. It didn't make it out of the country. Like the foreigner he sold this little vase to that he worked hard on didn't even make it out of the country, right? Why? Because things are breaking. But what's lasting forever are people. In fact, here's what I discovered that day. I discovered that I should really be investing in people and not in vases. In fact, I'm not very good at anything from china that's breakable years later on one of my adoption trips i bought another souvenir you buy small souvenirs when you're adopting because it's very 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 expensive and i found this really cool um, china starbucks mug that looks just like this and you'll notice that it has no handle on it now remember i'm not the one with a dropping problem in my family lock that in your brain um Can I just tell you, this is the second China Starbucks mug that came from China. The first one that I bought, I was using here in my office. I've never broken a mug before or since in my office until I had that China mug out. I was very pleased to be able to use it for my coffee a couple of weeks into being home, and I dropped it on carpet, and it shattered. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I have... All these mugs from Savers that I paid 50 cents for. I'm going to break that one? I was so bummed. I went, I showed Becky a picture. I was so sad about it. I'm like, I just, I'm not very good with things from China that are breakable, except for people. Um, and so she works her magic. And uh, some friends of ours that traveled with us on our first adoption, they were adopting and they were going back to China. This guy owns Chick-fil-A's in the South. And he goes and he picks up a Chinese mug for me and Becky presents it to me at Christmas or my birthday, a brand new replacement of what I had. I couldn't believe it. And it had some Chick-fil-A coupons inside. How cool is that? 
I could not believe it. I'm like, okay, I'll be careful this time. No joke. A couple of weeks later, I dropped the mug. This is the mug. And the handle snaps off. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you ever buy me something precious from China, I will take it, I will chuck it against the wall and just get it over with. I will smash that thing to smithereens. I'll just put it out of its misery. Our workmanship is decaying and our workmanship is flawed. Careful, I know. Let me have you look back at Ephesians 2. Who we are is all the more glorious, quite simply because of who we were before Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says this. Remember, you're his masterpiece. You're his workmanship created for good works. Not just functional, but beautiful, pleasing. Here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Left on our own, we are doomed. Left on our own, our workmanship is flawed. It's flawed fatally. Listen for this in the Christmas carols that you sing this month. As you're listening to Christmas music, as we're singing it in here, listen to these kinds of lines. Far as the curse is found, God and sinners reconcile. It's over and over woven into this that our workmanship and ourselves is fatally flawed. Now, one of the defense mechanisms that we all do is we'd rather not face this, so we bury our heads or we run and hide or we try to ignore it. But the challenge is we can't escape ourselves. We're always left with our own thoughts when we can't fall asleep at night. We're always left with our own stuff. The song Meant to Live, Rob and I were talking about themes and songs and ideas and uh just sort of how to get these truths out. And the song Meant to Live by Switchfoot is so powerful. Listen carefully. We were meant to live for so much more. Have we lost ourselves? Somewhere we live inside. It goes on. Maybe we've been living with our eyes half open. Maybe we're bent and broken. This is the biblical worldview, by the way. It's really humbling to hear that, that we're bent and broken, that there's something that needs to change. It's the very thing people most are repulsed by in the gospel. But that's it. We are broken. We are half asleep. This is the very truth Jesus came preaching. He said, repent, wake up, turn around. You're meant for something so much more. Listen to these words. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. Like who you are and what you were meant to be doing is right here in front of you. 
You don't need to move. You don't need to change circumstances. You don't need to change jobs. You don't need to change families or churches. The kingdom of heaven is right at hand. When you think about this idea of masterpiece, of something that is both beautiful and functional, think about this. Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sins, which is true, by the way, gloriously true. He came to save us from a life of meaninglessness. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. You know what that leads to? That worldview, that idea, that search that we read about in Ecclesiastes and see in our own hearts and people around us leads to utterly devastating, dark depression. One of the things plaguing our young people, and let's not kid ourselves, this isn't a young people problem. One of the things that's plaguing midlife crisis people, one of the things that's plaguing our senior citizens is what on earth is it all for? I'm exhausted. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And like, I'm, what, what, what's it for? What am I supposed to be doing? It's this sense of meaninglessness. And that pandemic is plaguing people. And God says, look at me, orient towards me. I have made you a work of art and a tool of the trade. And the things I'm building are going to last forever. I said at the beginning that the things you're building won't last. Here's the caveat. Here's the exception. The things you are building won't last unless you are building them with God. Unless you are cooperating with what he is doing. Think about the stories that talk about, sort of movies that talk about what it is to be an object, to be this made thing, this made person And how loneliness and despair comes from not working. Tell me what movie I'm talking about with toys that don't fulfill their purpose. Toy Story, right? Toy Story. And how about toys that are broken? Anyone watch Polar Express around this time of the year? Yeah, Polar Express, where all those broken toys are there. How about, here's here's another one. Dishes and decorations that only gather dust. What's that? Beauty and the Beast. Right? Like this whole thing and all they do is just sit around all day longing to fulfill their purpose. And they finally get the chance to. Here's one more. How about great halls and servants that sit empty and unused behind a locked gate? Frozen anyone? Right? Like these great halls that aren't filled with parties and aren't filled with, uh, with great gatherings and dancing and feasting. And there's a loneliness and a depression that sort of comes as a part of that. As God's masterpiece, you are meant to get out there. You are meant to work as in function the way God designed you to. And you are meant to get to work. That's the beauty of it. Let me wrap up with three things that God is working on. I said that you won't, um, you won't get to have things remain forever unless it's God building with you, unless it's what he's working on. So what is God working on? I had a really long list at the start of the week. I'm not going to tell you almost all of them. I'm going to give you three because there's actually deep joy in discovery. And if I were to give you seven things, you might go, okay, there's the seven things. And it would close you off to the world of ideas that God would have for you. Let me give you just three things that are really, really plain. Number one is God is making disciples. 
That takes work. You know what we're doing right here? We're making disciples. This is what church is about. We gather as disciples and we make disciples. That's what we're doing. I love how Paul David Tripp says it. I'm reading this little devotional. He said, God not only satisfied, God is not satisfied with informing you about the work of his kingdom. He transforms you to participate in the work of his kingdom. He doesn't just give you information of here's what I'm doing. He calls you and enables you to participate. In fact, I would say it this way. I don't think your discipleship training is even near complete unless you are making disciples. As you step in and make disciples, you are being discipled by God. I like to say around here that home is God's greenhouse for growth. Home is God's greenhouse for growth. It's this protected environment where we get to sort of control the elements and grow disciples. So if you're a parent here this morning, if you're a grandparent here this morning, you have the joy of participating in making disciples. What Andres showed you at the start of the service, these are just tools. We're just trying to put tools into your hands. Dads, look at me for one minute. We, we put a coupon book for Father's Day this year. We thought, what's going to outlast one day, uh, one Sunday of the year for Father's Day? How about a coupon book? So there's a new coupon each month for the dads. It's December, so I want to talk about the December coupon. Here's the December coupon, that there's a movie or a game night. So as a dad, I get to take this and redeem it with my family, redeem on a cold winter night to enjoy a favorite movie or game. Be mindful that all of life, that like all of life, our play is an act of worship. Listen to this verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's 1 Corinthians 10. So parents, it's as simple as a game night. It's as simple as a movie night, spending time with each other. But it's as complex as not just checking out and sort of going through the motion of a game night. Can't you do more damage to your kids if you go to hang out with them and then you're checked out while you're hanging out with them? We can. We can feel unseen as children. So we go, Lord, it's as simple as just a game night or a movie night, but it's as complex as saying, God, help me to invest myself in this little person. It's the work that he is at. There's no greater task and no greater challenge and no greater reward than investing in people. What else is God working on? Salvation. God is working out your salvation and on your salvation and the salvation of others. Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I won't take the time here, but there's a lot in that verse about how God works through us. And as he's working through us to be a blessing to others, he's working on us. This passage is talking about a little theological word called sanctification. Sanctification is your gradual growing righteousness it never ends but when i say salvation yours and others what is salvation for others that's the word evangelism it's just simply sharing the good news and i'll give you a third one god is working for the common good you say god i want to be pleasing to you i'm a tool of the trade what do you want me doing he wants you working for the common good 
Starting your house with your housemates, whether that be your spouse or your children or your parents or your brothers and sisters or your roommates. Work for the common good. Bring that to church. Bring it to church so you're working for the common good. NBC, church, work for the common good of our city, of our neighbors. This is what God is working on. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, guitars, skateboards, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. God is working for the common good. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I went to a dinner Thursday night. I was invited to go and represent Foster the City. There is a group of people, they call themselves Generosity Bay Area. And these are people with the gift of generosity who are just meeting on a random Thursday night at someone's house in Sunnyvale. And they were there to hear from three organizations because they have this matching grant that they want to put money towards and invest in. And their tagline is this, that every person in the Bay Area would know a radically generous Christian. Isn't that cool? That every person in the Bay Area would personally know a radically generous Christian. And I just told them, I said, I'm here to share about what we're doing with Foster City, but I want you to know I'm inspired to see this part of the body of Christ at work, often unseen, because the moment you're like sort of blowing a trumpet and saying, look at me and my good gifts that I'm giving away to people and supporting ministries, the Bible frowns on that. It says, don't do it that way. So to just get a little peek and understand, and these are people, this is the body of Christ investing a Thursday night to learn more so they can give really, really efficiently. Super inspiring. At that meeting, I met a guy who was overseeing the shipment of Operation Christmas Child uh, boxes. And he said, this week it's going out to, I think it was the Philippines and named two other places. I just said, wow, it's really cool to just, I said, we just participated. That's really neat to see that that's um, going on. Let me invite Angel up right now, and Angel and uh, Isabella, his daughter, they're just going to share you, share with you just one more way um, that we as a church are saying, hey, here's an, here's an avenue to be able to do a good work uh, that impacts something beyond where we currently are. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, like three weeks ago, I was taking a lunch with Dave, and I said, hey, Dave, my challenge for the 2024 is to preach in English. And he said, let's do it. I said, okay, maybe November, December, the 2024, I'll do it. But right now, we're, we are in 2023, so I have my half here. <laughs> my beautiful daughter. She's beautiful because she looks like me, so it's for that. Okay. Gracias por la oportunidad. Thank you for the opportunity. It's for me an honor to be part of a ministry that this church For me, it is an honor to be a part of a ministry that this church supports. Años atrás, después de la pandemia. Years ago, after the pandemic. Encontré en mi país, en Colombia. I found um, in my country, Colombia. 
eh, un lugar muy marginado donde ni siquiera la policía entra. Es más, tuve que pagarle a los eh, delincuentes de allá para que me dejaran entrar. Y encontré dentro de la comunidad un grupo de ancianos donde no tenían familia, family, no tenían eh, mercado, no tenían medicinas, medicine, y con el pastor de ahí, de ese lugar, place, decidimos empezar a trabajar por ellos. Eh, también había un grupo de niños en la misma situación. Cinco, cuatro años uh, adelante, o sea, eso fue hace cuatro años. Four years later, which meaning that was four years ago. Por la gracia de Dios. Because of God's grace. Hemos encontrado una iglesia donde ya hay 80 ancianos en esa iglesia. We have found a church where there's now 80 seniors. Han partido a la presencia del Señor ocho en estos años. Eight of them have um, passed away in these four years. Pero lo han hecho conociendo a Jesucristo. De una manera diferente. Tienen dignidad en su vida. They have dignity in their lives. Se, ali, eh, logramos eh, alimentarlos mensualmente. We were able to feed them monthly. Y cada vez que viajo a Colombia, que es muy seguido, And every time I to Colombia, which is very often, voy allá y les mando saludos de nuestra iglesia. I go and I tell them hello from our church. Y pasamos grandes momentos con ellos. And we spend really good times together. Ellos sienten que son parte de esta iglesia. They feel like they are part of this church. Y es lo que a mí más me pone contento. And that's what makes me the happiest. Lo mismo pasa con el comedor de niños que se está eh, sosteniendo ahí en Colombia. That is also happening in the group of kids that is there too. El año pasado. Last year. Para diciembre. Uh, in December. Estaba hablando con ellos y les decía, ¿qué hacemos para diciembre? Ellos dijeron, gracias por los mercados, pero no nos dé mercado porque comemos muy poquito y no hace falta. Pero hace muchos años no sabemos lo que es un paseo. Y dije, ahí está. And so I said, There it is. Vamos a llevarlos a pasear. Gracias a la ayuda de esta iglesia. Logramos recolectar el dinero para rentar dos buses. Y un lugar muy hermoso donde ellos hicieron un asado. Muchos de ellos después de 20 o 30 años se metieron en una piscina. Y disfrutaron ese día como unos niños. And they just enjoy that they like kids again. Independiente de eso para los niños. Independently of that for the kids. Sabiendo que los juguetes es lo que más les gusta. Knowing that toys is what they like the most. Hicimos una fiesta con ellos y les entregamos juguetes. We made a party with them and we gave them uh, toys. Todo esto se logró porque Dios usó a esta iglesia para recolectar los fondos. All of this was done because God used this church to collect the funds for it. Este año vamos a hacer lo mismo. This year we're going to do the same. Y con todo mi corazón los quiero invitar a que sean partícipes una vez más de esto. Cada viaje de uno de estos ancianos cuesta 20 dólares. Uh, 
Y para el, eh, los niños, su regalo y su fiesta también cuesta 20 dólares. Well. Eso en Colombia es bastante dinero. Colombia, that's a lot of money. Pero nosotros lo hacemos. But we do it. De la mejor calidad para ellos. And the best quality for them. Buenos buses, buenos lugares, buena comida. Good buses, good place, and good food. Buenos juguetes. Good toys. Porque Dios es un Dios de dignidad. Because God is a God of dignity. Y cuando hacemos las cosas, queremos hacerla de la mejor manera. Mi invitación es para que si ustedes desean colaborar, My invitation to you is that if you want to help and collaborate, en ese árbol de Navidad que está ahí atrás, in that Christmas tree that's right behind you guys, where donde está ese señor alto, where that tall guy is, <laughs> ahí ustedes encuentran una fotografía de cada uno de los ancianos, there you can find a photo of uh, the seniors, o de un niño, or of a kid. Si usted gusta hacerlo, tome la foto del anciano, del niño o los dos. If you'd like to help, you can take a photo of a senior or a kid or both. Y colóquela en un sobre de la iglesia. And put it in one of the folders of the church. Y coloque adentro el dinero con el cual este anciano puede ir al paseo y el niño puede tener su fiesta. And put the money inside for the senior to go on a trip or the kid can have its party. Si no tiene la posibilidad, no se preocupe. If you are not able to, don't worry about it. Pero créame que no hay nada más hermoso. But believe me that there is nothing more beautiful que podrá darle una sonrisa a alguien que lo necesita. Entonces, esa es mi invitación y muchas gracias. Thank you for your so time. So, that is my invitation. Thank you so much.